0: What's up you guys, this is Mason from The Duelist 101. This week we are not going to be here with Zach. Uh, We are going to try something a little different in order to more effectively get content out to you guys, but hopefully it is something you appreciate as well. But this week we are going to kind of discuss something that is pretty popular in the deck building world and that is mixing archetypes, all right? And uh, we've talked about archetypes in the past. Archetypes are just a group of cards that, generally speaking, are designed in such a way to execute a very specific strategy. But uh, sometimes what people will do in order to more effectively utilize that strategy is they will include cards from other archetypes. Um, So, for example, like Dinos are an archetype, right? But Dinos, what they're doing is... uh, like destroying themselves in order to bring out bigger badder monsters including the ultimate conductor tyrano but what happens if you try to mix that with true draco uh, boss monsters and that is what we are going to discuss in this episode so uh, sit back relax enjoy the ride and uh, yeah let's talk about uh, holiness ah. All right. So for a second, let's just go back to this whole dinos example. All right. So the dinos boss, uh, the dinos <laughs> boss monster, is uh, the ultimate conductor tyranno. If you are somebody that keeps up with uh, the kind of popular use of different decks, uh, you may recognize this one uh, through. Uh, Team Sam in a relatively recent remote duel invitational where people are playing essentially over their computers but um, in paper which is pretty sweet. Uh, Team Sam, uh, Team Samurai X1, uh, he is a very popular Yugi tuber. I strongly recommend checking out his stuff. Um, but what he did, he took the dino deck and just dominated um people from all over the world all these top ranked duelist and um we want to get into a uh, a little bit of that strategy. Uh so ideally they the dinos are a beat down strategy in a way. Um especially utilizing high level monsters like I said before Ultimate Conductor Tyranno is their big bad boss monster and what he wants to do ideally is Whenever he gets on the field, he, I'm trying to remember if this is a quick effect or not, but UCT can flip your opponent's monster's face down defense position. And then if you go into the battle phase, if you choose to do that, you go into the battle phase, then you get to do something really unique with UCT. Um... You can attack each defense position monster and deal a 1,000 points of damage regardless just because they're in face-down defense position. And then you are allowed to send those cards to the graveyard before damage calculation. These, um, your opponent's monsters, to the graveyard before they can trigger any effects. It stops a lot of their plays in their tracks. And so there is a version of Dinosaur with this beatdown strategy that makes it just a little more powerful and is absolutely absurd. And that version is called true King dino. Now true King is a little subset of an archetype, uh, probably more known as true Draco, but there are a couple cards that are utilized in the dino build that actually help execute that strategy of the dinos of being able to beat down and being able to take out, um, your opponent's monsters and control the game in that way for example so true king, true king they've got a ton of level nine monsters who destroy other cards in order to special summon themselves ideally and uh, there's one in particular um whose name i'm absolutely gonna botch and that is um Lithosagem, uh your guess is as good as mine there but uh That card is an Earth-type, and whenever he destroys other Earth-types, which the dinos love to do in order to get out their high-level monsters, which, by the way, the dinos primarily are Earth, the ones that you want to play anyway. So if you use this True King uh, Lithosagem to uh, destroy Earth-type cards, you can then potentially banish three cards from your opponent's extra deck now that is an absurd ability to me absolutely bonkers and thank god that card is limited so you can only play it at one copy in your deck but still that is a bonkers effect but then being that all these true king monsters and you know some of the more powerful dino monsters are rank Nine or level nine, excuse me. And so, what that means is you can turn that into a rank nine XC summon. And you know what's waiting on the other side of that? A little card called True King of All Calamities. Now, Calamities, uh, if I remember right, is like you detach a material um, on either player's turn and declare a specific attribute. From that point on, your opponent cannot uh, activate effects of monsters with that attribute. Here's why that is a ridiculously powerful play, especially if you are playing a deck that is primarily trying to, um, <laughs> that is primarily pure, say Salome and Great. Most of those cards are fire. So if you came out here and declared the fire attribute, that immediately turns off every single effect that the Salamander Great player would want to play as long as it's a fire attribute monster. You can see why that's a little insane. It essentially shuts off your opponent's game plan, provided you know what your opponent is playing, even a little bit. And so we see instantly that mixing these archetypes can be extremely, extremely helpful. Um, deadly, even as far as how the game is considered so what we can see mixing archetypes it essentially uh, makes these decks potentially even more explosive potentially even more dangerous than they already were right dinos are already a fantastic strategy and honestly one of the cheaper options strongly recommend go pick it up all right it doesn't need a lot of cards, you really don't even have to use the extra deck if you don't want to. So just saying, dinos, it's a good option. So then let's let's look at another example, right? Um, my beloved Phantom Knights, which I'm sure if you've been following this podcast for a while, you're probably a little bit uh, sick of hearing about, but Phantom Knights, um, whenever I picked them up, I did some research. And I learned that there is one case in particular that Phantom Knights have been anywhere near relevant. Um, and that case happened, I believe, right around 2016. All right, so what happened is the Phantom Knights get released. Um, and they have this Link monster, uh, Rusty Bardish, who is just absolutely insane all by himself. Then... Um, I think an even older strategy with Burning Abyss was um, somebody thought to themselves, hey, we can do some things here. So the Phantom Knights, the monsters that you want to play anyway, um, are largely level three. And that's about as far as they go. Um, The level fours, they're okay. Uh, They're okay. But the really good ones that you want to be able to play, they are level three. Interestingly, the Burning Abyss Monsters, just about every single one, if I remember right, um, in the main deck, they're level three. Now, that's not where the the incident synergy uh, or incidental synergy comes from. The Burning Abyss Monsters want to be sent to the graveyard because whenever they're sent to the graveyard, an effect triggers. Hmm. Hold that in your head. Then, the Phantom Knights. They gain effects when you banish them from the graveyard. Hmm. You know, this keeps getting better and better. So, we've got that so far. Both of these um, decks generate advantage based off primarily Xyz summoning. Hmm. They both have some really good Xyz monsters. Uh, the Burning Abyss monsters have Dante, who mills monsters or mills um, cards into the graveyard up to three per turn and then gains 500 attack for every single uh, card that's milled um, until the end of the turn. And so that's a really interesting, unique way to get cards into the graveyard in order to generate advantage back on the field. Hmm. Then the Phantom Knights have a ridiculous card in, um, in the Phantom Knights of Break Sword, where all that's required to make him is to level three monsters. Hmm. See, I know I'm I'm being a little facetious here, but a lot of these different examples synergize with each other, even though I don't know that Konami was l- sitting back at the design lab thinking, man, you know what would be really cool? To put the Phantom Knights and Burning Abyss stuff together. I seriously doubt that they thought any of that. But what did end up happening is some Yu-Gi-Oh players were creative enough to think, hey, there's a lot of similarities in these two strategies and one complements the other just as well as, uh, as the other complements itself. So how about we smash it together? Um, This synergy... Um, resulted in one of the most powerful decks, I believe, of 2016. If I'm wrong, I am so, so sorry, but I'm pretty sure. 2016, PK Fire. This deck uh, was an absolute terror for so many people and ended up being uh, the end of a lot of dreams (laughs) through 2016. Um, It topped a ridiculous number of events, and um, there was even one flavor of the deck where... Uh, what they would do, and I thought this was just so cool, is they would put in the spell Mask Change 2. Because Mask Change 2 um, targets a monster you control that has a level um, and takes whatever attribute it is, and then you're allowed to special summon a Masked Hero fusion monster from the extra deck with that same attribute. And most of the... um, Yeah, I think all of the main deck monsters that Burning Abyss has are dark. All of the Phantom Knights are dark. And the Masked Hero lineup has a card called Masked Hero Dark Law. And you might hear this referred to as uh, Macrocosmos, and that's because what this card does is any card that would be sent to the graveyard uh, on your opponent's side of the field instead gets banished. Now, most decks have a really hard time dealing with that. To balance it out, Dark Law is only 2,400 attack, so it's not just fantastic. But, if you set up a board with that, and maybe like two Phantom Knight's Fogblaze behind it, you suddenly have a pretty imposing strategy that your opponent is going to have to try to figure out something to do, unless they just get, you know, crushed by the end of it. So... That's my point with all these in, in each of these strategies, like PK fire by mixing these two archetypes, suddenly we have something that's even stronger than it originally was, right? The phantom Knights, man, I love them. But uh, until November comes, uh, there are a lot of pieces that were missing very much in that strategy in the burning abyss. It is um, it's an okay deck on its own, but whenever you're able to put those two decks together, and And really m- meld together um, these strategies you you end up with some insane boards that will be very, very difficult for your opponent to break. it's uh, It honestly turns into a pick your poison kind of situation. see here's here's kind of the end all be all with uh, with this subject. For the Phantom Knights specifically, this is just my personal disclaimer. Um I like to run them. As pure as possible because that is just a promise I made to myself whenever I started playing if I can make them as pure as possible then that's the kind that I want to run which is fine not everybody needs to do that and you should not feel obligated to if someone says oh no these are you know the time thief cards you can only play time thief I'll go ahead and tell you right now you will not have a complete deck but if someone says, hey, maybe you could work in some of the Lunalite stuff with the Time Thief stuff, now you've got yourself a strategy, right? They're, it's It's rank four spam, in case you're curious. And honestly, pretty effective. But that's my point is, like, mixing archetypes is a good thing. Mix it like taking non-archetype cards just because they're powerful um, is a good thing. I know Madolce has a card that is just really fascinating and it's along the lines of if um, if you have no traps in the graveyard, you can negate a monster effect totally for free or like no monsters in the grave. I think that's it. That is an insane effect for decks like abyss, like these pendulum style decks, or these decks that um, will try to banish monsters out of their graveyard. Suddenly, you've got a strategy that is going to be pretty stinking good, and it's a free monster effect negation, uh, which is pretty powerful. So, the the thing is, pure built uh, decks are designed to execute a strategy. But sometimes being able to mix archetypes can be just as helpful, so don't feel like you need to be limited to the one archetype. Maybe two, even three, if you're feeling real adventurous, can help you out a lot um, and help you develop a more effective game plan. Um, Sometimes decks work better pure, and that's okay, like Sky Striker. Sky Striker is largely a control-based strategy, and to be honest, you don't want a whole lot of cards that aren't um, what they already do. Uh, DDD um, is another one of those. Most of its game plan relies on the fact that you have the cards that you need in your deck. Um, And... (laughs) You will brick even more than you already do if you run any more than 40 cards. So, trust me, it's not worth that. (laughs) Um, But if you allow yourself to mix archetypes, do things like PK Fire or, oh man, True King Dino or, I mean, there's so many different examples. Invoked Dogmatica, uh, for those of you in uh, the TCG, uh, Dragma is the OCG uh, phrasing there but invoked dogmatica is an extremely powerful strategy that can do some amazing things and it's designed to be mixed together. Like Konami did not necessarily design it that way, but people were creative enough to say, here are the things that these two strategies do really well. And those are the things I want to bring out. So um, you should always know that anytime you modify something, new weaknesses pop up, right? So like, What I'm saying is, as you're building a deck, it can be really, really good to um, develop a strategy a certain way in order to mitigate some of the weaknesses that you might have already had. But you will do far better knowing that you are going to create other weaknesses. But if you can make it as consistent as possible, that will give you the highest chance of success there. Um, And... I mean, I like to end these deck building series uh, podcasts the same way, just because it is incredibly, incredibly important to know. um, If you want to build a deck um, and you want to be competitive, great, if you don't if, if you don't care about being competitive and you're just like, man, I'm going to throw these decks that have nothing to do with each other together. Go for it. Have the time of your life because the idea with Yu-Gi-Oh! is that it can be a fun game. <laughs> it can be a lot of fun um, and you have the freedom to create and do some of these different things. So please don't feel so pressured as to say, oh man, you know, this only works well with this strategy. So I guess I can't do anything else feel free to make it work. Um, Like Zach and I talked about in the last episode, if you're stubborn enough, trust me, you'll make it happen somehow, some way. You got this. But that sums it up for this one. Hopefully um, we will get to hear uh, from Zach soon. Um, I know that it's been a little tough for both of us getting, uh, getting through jobs, uh, work and school and all that good stuff. So thank you guys for being so patient with us as we've been working through this transition ourselves. Um, hopefully we'll get it to be a little more consistent in the future. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, as always, this is the Duelist 101 podcast. And um, thank you. Thank you so much. See y'all.